I'm your host, Rob Carbone. This is BD4. You know, I was going to wait and keep following track and do the uh, every two games thing in the playoffs as well. But I need to like, I need to vent, man. I need to vent. That one took a lot out of me. Um, I told myself I'd take the two full days to cool down and not do anything Knicks, not think about the Knicks, not talk about the Knicks. So I, you know, I waited so long to write that recap. I only, well, let me rephrase. I only, I only waited so long to write that recap. I just, I just, I love, I need to vent. I need a vent. It, it takes, when I like think about it, it helps me. When I talk about it and express my frustrations, it helps cope. I'm not one of those guys, as much as I try to, who can just say, all right, let me take a break and come back and I'll, I'll come back for game two in a couple days. I tried it for about a couple hours the next day and then I was like, oh, you know what? I have to fucking vent. So I wrote the recap on that game and now we're recording the podcast after just that game one. So maybe we'll do this. Maybe we'll, we'll, we'll see. Hopefully we have time. It's going to be tough, but maybe we'll, we'll try and do podcasts every single game. Cause with the, with the layoffs in between games, it's possible I can get it out. Um, I'm recording this one Tuesday, May 25th. So by the time you're listening to this episode, it's Wednesday, May 26th. Obviously, the day of game two later tonight for you. It's a tough loss. You know, it's one that I, I slept on and I had dreams about the fucking, I had nightmares about the fucking game. Um, so much that, like, I have a tough time right now celebrating Julius Randle's most improved player award that he won. I should be happy for him and everything, but like anytime I, I just think about the Knicks, I just keep going back to that game one. I can't think about the regular season anymore. It's not, it, it's yuck to me. I just, I'm so focused on the now right now. I It's hard for me to celebrate it, but I need to, you know, congrats to Julius because he very much deserved it. And um, I want to make one thing clear. Not that anybody reads my tweets, but I did put out a tweet. It was it was supposed to look sarcastic, but I, I feel like it came across as dickish. But I said, now improving game two. Congrats. I wasn't, I mean, it was supposed to just sound like a joke. I was being sarcastic, but I don't want it to seem like I'm just being a spoiled Knicks fan. If that's even possible. But no, I'm very, I'm very happy that he got it. It was very much deserved. He is the reason, the main reason why the Knicks are here. You know, or, you know, Tom Thibodeau, obviously, which he should definitely get consideration for coach of the year. I know Monty Williams won the coach's coach of the year, which was a little bit of a different award. Um, but it was, uh, it was awesome to see him win that. But again, I just had so much focus on game one. It's hard for me to go back to the regular season and think about that for a second. It, you know? But we are going to dive into this one. Anybody see those comments that... There's a video of it. Uh, was it Mayor de Blasio? On Trey Young. <laughs> the same dude that was wearing the fucking Brooklyn shit. Has another presser. It was earlier today or maybe yesterday. Where he's wearing Nick shit and he's talking about hey Trey Young buddy you're not gonna do that in this town no more flopping it's so weird it's almost like it was scripted um hilarious I, I watched it over and over 
Yeah, man, I, I tried so much to get this game off my head. Out of my head. I, um... Went outside. It was we've had we've had nice weather lately. We've had sun lately. That's what I want to say. Because like nice weather to me is probably what not. It's probably not what nice weather is to you. To me, nice weather is any weather. I love Mother Nature. I love the rain. I love the snow. I love the cold. I love the warm. So I really don't mind any kind of weather. But you know, we had sunny weather. That's nice weather to most normal human beings. Um. And people are always complaining about the weather. You ever notice that? Like, people are always complaining about the fucking weather. Oh, wow. It's 81.77 now. Suns are making a big comeback. Wow. People are always complaining about the weather. There's a really funny Louis C.K. bit. I think people should definitely check out. It was like how if we all think we're supposed to be here, why are we never comfortable with the weather? <laughs> it's really funny. Look it up. It's like called like I forget what it's called. It's called like white people or something. <laughs> something about Native Americans and, and I don't know. You'll find it. But seriously, it'll be like December 15th and somebody will be complaining about the snow. Like, dude, it's supposed to snow. When's the warmer weather? The warmer weather comes in the summer. And then the summer comes and we get the warmer weather. And now you're complaining that it's too fucking hot. Well, it's June. You asked for this back in December. You people are never comfortable. But I tried going outside, getting my mind off that game. And again, I couldn't. I just had to go right back to my tablet and type up the recap on the Knicks game one. In my tablet, I spilled coffee on the type cover. So it's like all messed up. Half of the keys work, half of them don't. And some of the keys that do work are like not working properly. Like you'll press down the I key and the T button shows up. And um, so I have to like type on the touchscreen. It's a pain in the ass. I have a Surface Pro. So I've got to buy a new type cover. And those things are a ton of money to begin with. But um, Yeah, I just couldn't get my mind off it, so I recapped Game 1. If you haven't checked out my Game 1 recap of the first round, be sure to do that. It's, you know, Knicks versus Hawks, Round 1, Game 1 of the Eastern Conference playoff. It's on my website, on my blog. Um, broke it all down, summarized everything. Went over the player performances. The team performance. It was good, it was a Recap that you should definitely check out if you're a diehard Knicks fan like me, like me, who watches these games and really dives into it. I don't watch like the casual fan watches. I watch it like, this is a really good basketball game. I watch it like a, a scientist. Like I, I pick apart everything. I look at the different sets being ran. I try my, I'm like, I watch it like a coach, like I'm coaching the team. That's how into it I get sometimes. And I guess that helps because that makes for more conversation in these podcasts. So what we're going to do, we're going to head to break. And when we get back from our first break, I guess we will dive right into this. And start talking about this rough game one loss. Alright. This this Lakers-Suns game is very good. It's a two-point game. Lakers are up with eight minutes and change to go. They were just down like a dozen points a few minutes ago. But they're making a run right now. A few of my buddies are Suns fans and they just brought it to within one. Jerry Crowder hit a free throw. Now, bitch boy's taking it up court. It's a good-ass game. This is and If the Suns take this one, man, Lakers are in trouble. 
And it's a big one. Anthony Davis just airballed. Wow. It's a big one for the for the Suns, too. They're heading on the road after this. Big difference going on to the going on the road two nothing than going on the road with a tied series, you know? This is huge. Wow, that leak out. LeBron just tossed one to A D. He gets fouled. They're just one step ahead. I really dislike LeBron James. <laughs> So I don't want the Lakers to win. He's an incredible basketball player. But I just dislike him. For reasons I will not get into. Now, let's get to break. Sorry. Let's not waste any more time. Any more of your valuable time. Not like anybody is listening to this. This is just me talking to myself. But, um... If by chance there's anybody, I appreciate you stopping by. I am your host, RJ Carbone. This is episode 250 of the podcast. We are 250 episodes in, coming up on three years in June of BD4. So welcome to BD4 if you're new. Where there's no better way to get your Yankees and Knicks analysis. And if you're somebody who's been here before welcome back but if you are new be sure to subscribe to this podcast we do episodes on the Knicks every two games and we do episodes on the Yankees after every series you can subscribe to the podcast on YouTube if you watch it on YouTube you can subscribe to it there Um, but you can also listen to the podcast and subscribe to it on you know the other feeds it's a tie game on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and many more platforms. And I also have a blog where I recap every single Knicks game and Yankees game. Now, we've been busy lately, so I've had to... I've missed some, and I've been late on some, and and some I've had to combine into one. But, you know, again, when the NBA season ends, we'll, we'll be freer with our time, and such so if you haven't subscribed to the podcast and to my blog and if you haven't followed me on social media do that all that information that i just told you you can find on my link tree at linktr.ee forward slash rj carbone and so with that we're gonna head to our first break and when we get back we'll get right into this game one of the eastern conference first round knicks hawks One hundred seven to one hundred five. That was the final score. And before we get into the summary and the breakdown and everything, I was so disappointed that I couldn't attend this game. The first playoff game in eight years for the Knicks, and I was at the the first round of the last playoffs we made against the Celtics in first in the first round of twenty thirteen. I was at game two at the Garden. But man, I wanted to go to this so bad. I would have, but I, um, I don't have the money to afford, you know, hundreds of dollars, and to be okay after that. <laughs> so I couldn't, and plus I didn't have time to take the test because I don't have the shot yet. Uh, I may or may not get it. I don't know. Um, but fuck, I really wanted to go, and man, I know it's it's worse when you know a lot of people who do go. A lot of my buddies went. Um, so it's like, oh damn. And you see it, you know, with with Twitter nowadays and all the videos that you can post, you see it online and man, just watching it. Now, maybe it was because I don't know if everybody else does this, but like when I watch TV, when I watch the games 
in the regular season. And then when I watch them in the postseason, I'll put the volume a little bit higher than usual. Just to add to the excitement. With the Knicks. With the Yankees, I have to watch it on 28 because I'm superstitious. But with the Knicks, I, I usually raise the volume during the bigger games of the regular season. or And now we're in the playoffs. I raise the volume because it just makes it more exciting. But I don't think it was that, man. I think that Garden crowd, the, what was it, 70%, 75%, a little over 15,000, it was nuts. Like, it sounded like the entire, what do they have, 22K seats? It sounded full. And it sounded like a full playoff game. It sounded nuts. They went bizarre for the Knicks, man. And I just can't wait. I can't wait for, well, I don't want to jump ahead because game two, you never know what could happen. But man, I wanted to be there so bad. And, and when I heard that crowd, so many moments that made MSG erupt, which we'll touch on as soon as we summarize this. But this was the, the largest crowd since the pandemic started, they said. <laughs> Madison Square Garden, it just made perfect sense for it to be MSG. And man, it was fucking fun to watch. I mean, I was screaming from my chair. I was, my brother was upstairs in the living room watching, which is right above my bedroom, right above the studio here where I watch the games. He said he heard me screaming. He said he thought I was crying at one point. Like he heard me like I was right next to him and I'm underneath him. I was going nuts. Just imagine... 15,000 of me in one stadium indoors at MSG. I mean, it was fucking nuts. And that just that's just me watching it on TV. I cannot imagine what it's like if you were there. How loud. Wow, the Suns took the lead with five and a half to go. Wow, now they have possession. I tell you, they could pull this off. Alright, so game one, the Knicks lose. 105 for them. 107 for the Hawks. And basically, it was Trey Young, Clint Capella, and the pick and roll. That's it. Trey Young, Clint Capella, the pick and roll. Trey Young, Clint Capella, the pick and roll. Young has 32 points and 10 assists. And, you know, as a bonus, 7 rebounds. Capella, 9 points, 13 rebounds, but he did his job as a roller. The Hawks just obliterating the Knicks with their guards, with their screeners. And that was the story of this game, the pick and roll, which we are going to break down after I summarize this game. Trey Young is afraid of birds, so I, I suggest for game two, for Knicks fans, we should bring in thousands of birds, on signs of birds and pictures of birds. He's afraid of them. I saw. I mean, according to some Instagram meme I saw <laughs> when he was at Oklahoma State, the fans brought in like signs with logos of and pictures of birds on them. <laughs> he's playing. He's playing. He plays for the fucking Hawks. How could you be afraid of a bird? You play for the Hawks. James Paxson would never. Um, so out of the gate. You know, the Knicks clearly jittery, understandably, with, with half of their roster pretty much new to playoff experience. So they spent, you know, a good chunk of the first quarter shaking off the nerves. He had the Atlanta Hawks go up by 11 at one point. It's also Trey Young's first playoff. Um, and the Hawks finished the quarter 24-16 to in the lead. Um, four minutes into the game, Alfred Payton. Quicker leash than usual. He's pulled for Derrick Rose. Um, Rose checks in. He gets the Knicks going by pushing the pace uh, with some tough finishes in transition. Some nice takes in the half court as well. And, you know, once, this, once the second unit, the rest of them checked in, that's when MSG just erupted. Obi Toppin had his moments. Um, and with Atlanta's point of emphasis on neutralizing the Derrick Rose drive, it opened the floor 
it opened up the floor for Emmanuel quickly, who came in and just started slinging bumps. He had a pair of triples from deep in that second quarter that just got MSG on their fucking toes in the air. And so behind the second unit, the Knicks come within striking distance at the half down just two points. And the entire second half was tight, competitive, very little breathing room for each team whenever they took the lead. Um, but it was very maddening. Some maddening possessions. So Peyton gets the early hook once again. And then Rose checks in, but starts coughing it up a few times. And a few turnovers in a row. Atlanta, just way too many baskets off leak outs and just killing us in transition. Then you had RJ Barrett find a rhythm. He got it going. He connects for three. Then he starts bullying his way into the lanes and, you know, he gets some really nice transition finishes. He had that poster. He put bogey on a fucking poster with that left-handed slam on the break. That got the garden going. And the Knicks enter the fourth quarter up 73-71 to 71 in thanks to R.J. Barrett's big quarter. But that was nothing compared to Triple B, Big Bucket Burks. Alec Burks scoring 18 points in quarter four. This guy was incredible. He's a veteran, man. But he's a damn good one. Excuse me. Um, he's drawing contact. He's spotting up. He's hitting tough MJ fades. Pull-up jumpers from both levels, inside and outside the arc. He and Derrick Rose hit the biggest shots of the night for the Knicks. You had, with one minute and change to play, Derrick Rose kicks it to Burks from the lane, who shot faked into a baseline jumper to put the Knicks up three. And then moments later, Atlanta takes the lead, a two-point lead, but then you have Burks driving baseline, dishes off a shovel pass to Taj Gibson, and Gibson throws out to Rose, who's at the top of the key. Rose drives middle, and he connects on a floater to tie the thing up. The garden fucking shook again. The building shook. The floor shook. They even said it in the presser. I think it was Obi. The floor shook. And then, you know, we get to it. The, the fucking, the play heard around the world, right? Nate McMillan calls a timeout. Tom Thibodeau checks in Frank, knowing damn well that McMillan obviously will go to Trey here. And then it all happened. The Knicks let Young drive right, and he finished with the floater with 0.9 seconds left. It was tough. You know, Frank had help in the middle with Taj right next to him. But I don't know, maybe he thought that Taj was behind him or that he was going to get screened off. So he kind of overcommitted left, and Young recognized that. And he attacked his outside foot, got by him, and by then the backline help was way too late arriving, and boom. Young converts the floater, and the Hawks are in the lead. This time, Tibbs calls the timeout, and out of the timeout, what do we do? We do the usual, because you know the Knicks in late-game execution are just so superb and definitely not predictable. They go to Julius, near the elbow, and we can't even get the shot off once again. And the buzzer sounds, and the Knicks lose. And Trey Young doing his fucking Reggie Miller shit, and, you know, wanted to punch him in the mouth. And so to all the people calling this Knicks team the 90s Knicks, no. I'm telling you, he was, he's not walking off the court doing that shit. Making that gesture. If this was the night, if this was the '90s Knicks, somebody made a funny comment on Twitter. He'd be hanging in the fucking rafters. He'd be laying on his damn back. He'd be going off the court in a fucking wheelchair. If this was the '90s Knicks, but he didn't. 
you know, he walks off the floor cocky as ever. And he deserved it. I mean, that, that must have felt amazing for him. But how many times do we see it, man? Tibbs going to Julius for the final play. And Julius has not been Mr. Spectacular in the in the clutch this year. The guy needs to open up that playbook and become less predictable and more creative. That's the bottom line. And, you know, don't have your hottest shooter be the inbounder there. I mean, Alec Burks was 9 for 13. He just scored you 18 quick points in that quarter. And Julius Randle, outside of that one three-pointer he hit late, was 6 for 23 and gave you zero production or zero efficiency. That's not the right play there. you got to go to Burks. you got to go to Burks. You make him inbound it? At least use him as a decoy if he's not going to take the shot. At least don't inbound with him and use him as a decoy or something. I don't know. And then you rewind. We could talk about the Trey, Trey Young play again. You know, Frank, ice cold. You know, the guy played maybe 45 seconds, a couple of possessions heading into that one. There was that last possession, but the, the, the two at the end of the first half when he switched both times anyway. He came into that one cold. There was that tweet by Tommy Beer who I thought made an excellent point. If you're going to play Frank, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, if you're going to play Frank in the most crucial possession of the game, it's a little odd that you didn't play him more than a minute. If you're going to play him in the most important possession of the fucking ball game, why aren't you playing him more than a minute in a game where Trey Young scores 30 fucking two points? Wow, the Lakers took an eight-point lead with a minute and a half left. Damn. So, I had a problem with that. Um, going to Frank, ice cold, you know, putting him in a pressure cooker. You know, he's... At least play him before that. I understand he's your best defender, so I, I didn't... I can't say I hated the move at the time, but, like, I understood why he didn't exactly get the stop. He got burnt. He played not even a minute. It's hard to do that, going up against one of the best point guards in the game and expecting to stop him in your first fucking playoff game where you're sitting on the bench ice cold all game in the last play of the game. I mean, no. I Just some questionable decision-making that didn't pay off by Tom Thibodeau at the end there. Um, so we go over these player performances. Um... You know, Nick's starters were all negative and plus minus, and the entire bench unit was all positive outside of Frank. Um, but the one starter, or no, we had a lot of starters, like I said, who just didn't play well. Oh, of the five starters, I mean, you can't really, it, it's hard. I guess the worst, but he played just, eight, I pay, Alfred Payton was bad. You know, he was over three. Zero points, zero boards, and assists. Eight minutes played. He doesn't deserve minutes anymore. I've had it. You've had it. We've all had it. Kenny Smith even called him out on it at halftime. And it's so clear. He doesn't give you anything. And obviously, eight minutes is not much time. But he wasn't good out there. He didn't provide offense. He was too slow offensively. And... Defensively, he was still very slow going around the screen. Getting beat by Young. Fortunately, he had an even shorter leash. But again, even eight minutes in a two-point game is too valuable to waste on somebody like him. And I hate to keep harping on him because he wasn't the main reason the Knicks lost. You can only do so much in eight minutes. But those eight minutes go to Frank. Maybe he gets that stop at the end. Maybe Trey Young doesn't score 32 points, and instead he has 26, and the Knicks have the lead after that. I, you know, I just, it was tough. Um, Reggie Bullock wasn't great. Six points, three rebounds, zero assists, three for nine field goals, zero for five on threes. After being on fire at the end of the regular season, he was a complete no-show. In this game. If he connects on maybe just one three-point shot. The score is in the Knicks favor. Right? His defense was not the same either. 
but he just didn't play enough minutes. He only played 19 minutes, so he didn't play enough to make a true impact. Would have been nice to get him going. I was calling him a key piece to this team in the postseason heading into it. Said he was going to play a huge role. Hopefully he bounces back. R.J. Barrett. He had 14 points, 11 rebounds, and assist. No turnovers in 32 minutes. Shot 6 for 14, which is 40%. You know, he was a mixed bag. He wasn't great. He wasn't the worst. Um, I think the Knicks needed to use him on the ball more, for sure. Some more downhill, high pick and roll actions from the top of the key would have been nice. You know, run run him in some half-court sets. Um, and the Hawks, you know, they hid Trey Young onto RJ a few times. So you would have liked to exploit that. But RJ's on-ball opportunities decreased in the in the fourth quarter. They ran him off the ball and catch and shoot. And, you know, he was just one for six on those threes. And then there was that call on RJ at the end by Tony Brothers, which was complete bullshit. Trey Young with an egregious flop to get that whistle. Minimal contact that he sold. Um, something you don't call on the home team at that point in a playoff game. And they did. So, great job, brothers. Randall had 15 points, 12 rebounds, 4 assists, 3 turnovers in 36 minutes. Um, He shot 6 for 23. He was 2 for 6 from the 3-point line. And he was 1 for 2 at the charity stripe. Wasn't a good game. He said it. He admitted it. And he was right. He saw a lot of switches. And he had some mismatches on him because of that. But the shot selection was very poor. Despite that. He took the shots he should not have. And vice versa. Settled for way too many difficult jumpers. Turning around. Fading away. And again he had quite a a decent amount of mismatches on him all game. He was just overreading Atlanta's line of defense. I, I think he was just anticipating the double, reading those extra layers of defense in the passing and driving lanes. And so that way he was kind of hesitant and too passive and didn't exactly know when to shoot. I don't know. Again, he did make the big three-pointer with minutes left, but that was about all, you know. And on the other end, his defense was, he got pretty lazy at times. Pretty slow. Um, But if you want to spin it positively, I know people like to. The Knicks only lose by two points when Randall is off badly. So I guess that's your positive indicator heading into game two. Is that there's a good chance he bounces back. I don't know. I don't like stats like that because it's not always correct. You know, saying he we only lost by two in a game when he was off. All right, so what if he's on and then somebody else is significantly off? You know, we just we just got to play better. Um, Nerland's Noel. Six points, three rebounds, one steal, two blocks, 24 minutes played. Looks like Phoenix might lose this. Um, Noel spent a lot of the night playing back, trying to contain Clint Capella, which he did. You know, those rim runners give us problems, and you know, we all know Clint Capella, what, fucking 25 and 20-something last time he played us? 25 and 22 game? Something like that? He was just all over us inside. Um, But yeah, he, he had to play back a lot. And, you know, I think going into game two, seeing what Trey Young did to us, do we adjust? And do we have Noel stunt more in the second game? And... and and do we play him higher up? Something to think about. You know, can he recover hard enough if he does play high up? Can he recover hard enough to close out on Clint? We go to the bench. Alec Burks, 27 points, three rebounds, four assists, one turnover, and 26 minutes. He shot 9 for 13, 3 for 5 from the arc, and 6 of 8 at the stripe. 
He was the best player on the floor for New York on Sunday night. Far and away. He was solid in the first three quarters. But the fourth game and he just fucking erupted. You know? Playing smart, efficient basketball. Scoring. Assisting. Drawing contact. The jumpers. You know, just putting pressure on the defense consistently. Should Alec Burks have gotten more than 26 minutes if he scored 27 points? Maybe. And obviously he should have definitely gotten that last shot again. Something to think about. Again. Derek Rose, 17 points, 5 rebounds, 5 assists, 38 minutes. He shoots 8 for 16, 1 for 4 from 3. Doesn't get to the line. Which I found a little interesting because, you know, there were some no calls there. Rose and Burks combined for 44 points on 17 for 29 shooting. Rose provided that first half spark when he checked in for Alfred Payton. The Suns just, well, they're about to lose. Damn. Um, yeah, he added it, added a pace to the game. He was, you know, added a flow to the Nick offense after that slow start by getting into the paint with ease and transition. He hit that clutch floater at the end. Garden went nuts. He had a good solid game, but the downsides were, again, the ball protection, five turnovers. Um, the pick and roll defense was pretty poor by Rose. And he was almost, he almost logged 40 minutes in this one. So, you know, and it was 40 minutes where he had to do a lot. He had the on-ball responsibilities offensively, while on the other side of the court, having to chase around Trey Young. So, you know, it brings up the question, can Derrick Rose sustain this workload and still give you the same production? You know, maybe some solutions here are to, you know, in order to keep Rose's legs fresh, if we're going to continue to minimalize EP's minutes, does Frank get more minutes? Does that help Derrick Rose? Does uh, maybe we, you know, give RJ and IQ some more of the lead ball handling role? Maybe that helps. You know, IQ is good. He scored 10 points. He had 10, uh, two rebounds, three assists, two turnovers in 21 minutes. Four for seven from the field. Two for two on his threes. He brought so much energy immediately and gave the Knicks a spark off that bench in that second quarter. Just like Rose, he was the reason they turned that slow first into a uh, hot shooting second. And I can already see it. He's just going to have some big playoff moments at Madison Square Garden. Like, I can see it. He's that type of player. He is a guy that gets the crowd going with his range. I would have liked more attempts from him, um, being how hot he was in the second quarter. And definitely some more on-ball opportunities from him, considering how, again, crucial he was to that little mini comeback in the second but he was relegated to an off-ball floor spacing role in the second half. Used as more a distraction. Um, but yeah, I mean, it would have been nice to get him some more shots up. He and Burks were the only two to shoot the three-point well for the Knicks. They were combined 5 for 7 from the arc, while everybody else was 5 for 23. So, Yeah. Our other rookie, Obi Toppin, had some moments. Five points, a rebound, and assist, 12 minutes played. Two for three, one for two from three. He had that dunk off the baseline screen and roll feed from Burks in the second quarter. MSG went off the rails fucking wild for him there. That may have been the loudest. That was, I think, the loudest they got in the first half. 
Um, and then the second half game, you had the RJ dunk. And then the fourth quarter, there were some big moments. Uh, but again, he only got 12 minutes, you know, despite Julie struggling because he's just undersized against that Atlanta front court. And we're going to get to some of his defensive lapses in a little bit. Yeah, it's over. 109-102. Damn. Sons uh, lost. Damn it. <laughs> um, Taj Gibson, five points, nine boards, two assists, a block, and a steal. He had that late and one layup that, again, that was one of the plays in the fourth quarter that set the Garden off. Uh, he was battling on the glass trying to force loose balls, and had a better defensive game than Nerland's Noel did. Turn this shit off. I don't want to see LeBron get interviewed. Um, you know, Noel only had one defensive rebound in 24 minutes. Taj had four. Um, a lot more mobility in pick and roll, um, in the pick and roll drop. Um, a lot better positioning. Did a better job tagging the roll man. I thought he looked better defensively than, than Noel did. No, neither were very spectacular defending the pick and roll. I mean, the Knicks all night, that was the story of this game. Terrible, terrible pick and roll coverage. Just clearing all this space for Young to go to his right. And it's so tough because he's such a dynamic point guard that you know when we were collapsing on his drives to help, it then left us susceptible to these wide open shooters on the corners and on the wings. But if we stayed home, he'd just beat us in single coverage in the lane. You know? And even when Young went to the bench, we still struggled defending the pick and roll. Our bigs were just getting caught between man and ball. You know, you had Hunter and Capella working as a nice tandem. You had Lou Will and Gallo, a nice one-two. But just multiple possessions all game long attacking us, exploiting the one weakness that I had a feeling they would exploit. And again, I said this heading into the game. Watch out for Noel's pick and roll game. They're going to exploit it. Here we are. They exploited our bigs. There were several moments that I really wanted to do a film session, but I wasn't sure if how I could do it because I don't want to get copyrighted. So I don't have the tape in front of me. I'm actually watching the tape. I'm watching some of these possessions on the screen, but you can't see it. Um... But, you know, there were moments, um, there was the nine minutes moment, nine minutes left in the second quarter. Taj got caught. There were seven minutes left in the second quarter. You had Noel shading to Capella on Trey's drive. And he just gave Trey Young way too much room. Ball went up. Floater went up and, and it was good. And then there were just a... There were a few instances, a few instances towards the end of the second quarter where Noel did an excellent job in drop. You know, he reads the pick and roll. He stunts to help and he, you know, then he either recovered in time to protect the rim or if he didn't, again, he just step into the guard for the contest. But it was not, it wasn't often because you have to, again, it was, it's tough because you have to worry about young and the many things he can do when he drives. And you have to worry about containing Capella, who just went off on you a few weeks ago. And rim runners give us issues. So it's tough. You had the seven-minute mark in the third quarter where RJ had to stay home on bogey in the corner pocket ball side. Then you had Randall, who's in no man's land. I don't know what he was doing on this possession. And then Noel playing back after tagging Capella pre-roll at the top. And then on the weak side, you had Reggie in the other corner staying home on Hunter. He didn't stunt. And Hunter's got a pretty slow release. I would have liked if Reggie hedged off a little bit, but he didn't. Knicks had no help there. Young gets the easy bucket. Ten minutes left in the fourth quarter. Another possession I want to point out. 
Atlanta does it a couple times. They put Obi Toppin in a pick and roll, knowing very well of his issues defending in space. Um, Lou Will kicks it to Gallo on the pop for an elbow three. Obi's late closing out as he was trying to trap Lou Will. Bang. And then the Hawks tried exploiting Obi whenever he shared minutes with Gallo a few times. It, it was just a, a matchup advantage for Atlanta. You had with eight minutes and 45 seconds left in the fourth quarter, Obi loses Gallo again up top trying to trap Lou Will once again. Um, this forces Burks to cheat a little bit from the weak side corner to help onto Gallo. Gallinari, that is. And then Lou Will makes that read, dimes it across court to Bogey in the corner, and Burks is late recovering because he's got to help on Obi's guy. Bang. Eight minutes left in the fourth. You've got Rose. He gets lost on a high ball screen, ends up on Lou Will's hip. Randall gets lazy on that same screen, trying to trap, but it was a pretty lazy attempt. And then Lou Will comes off that screen, blows by the both of them, and he finishes as Nerlens is too late on the help by then. And then at the end of the game, you had those three consecutive possessions where the Hawks ran those double drag screens on us. You had about four minutes left. Capella screens Burks off of Young, who now has space. Bogey then screens off Taj, so he loses Capella on the roll. So now you have IQ as the only backline help as Trey just lobs it to Capella for the alley finish as he's too small to defend him. The very next possession, another another double drag screen. You have the screen where RJ's trying to help on the lob. He sags, Trey makes the read, and he finds an open bogey in the corner because RJ's trying to help. Bogey ended up hitting four triples. I think he scored 18 points. And the Hawks run a third straight set. You got three minutes left in the fourth quarter. The You have Trey Young finding Hunter. Popping. Bang. Atlanta's up 97-93. Then about a minute later, two minutes left, the Knicks are up 98-97. The Hawks have the ball. They're playing three out. They've got Capella as the screener at the top of the key with Young as the ball handler. He gets to the rim with no resistance. You have Randall getting lazy again. Very lazy. Burks is late on the help from his corner. Taj is left alone in the last line of defense. Cannot stop the ball. Young converts another runner. And, and that's an and one. So many instances throughout this game where the Knicks were just caught in the pick and roll. They just weren't quick enough. They couldn't rotate quick enough. They couldn't close out quick enough. They were either overhelping or they were staying home and were beating single cover. It was just, it didn't work out. It didn't work out. It was difficult to watch. It was so maddening because it happened time and time again. And it's uncharacteristic for a defense as strong as this one was in the regular season to go out and perform like they did in this one. So I think in game two, you need to make some major fucking adjustments. You need to. You can't go out there in game two and not play on Young more. You have to put more points of emphasis on Trey Young. And if it means risking Capella going off, so be it. Because I'll take that if he... I don't know, man. It's... I think you have to play Nerlens higher up. You have to play more drop coverage. And you just have to hope that he's... First of all, Nerlens better be healthy because he... he hurt, remember, he hurt himself in this game. He didn't return. So they said he's questionable. But we're going to see how he feels tomorrow. Hopefully he's good to go. And hopefully he's on point. But this is why like, I can't stand when people say Mitchell Robinson isn't missed. Did you see these performances down the second half of the season? Did you see this game one? Mitchell, Mitchell Robinson is the best pick and roll defender the Knicks have. Of their bigs. Better than Obi. Better than Julius. Better than Taj. Better than Noel. Better than Norvell Pell if you want to throw him in there. He can defend the pick and roll. He executed the drop coverage very well after he learned it last year with Mike Miller. That's one guy I really miss, and his long wingspan would really help. That's perfect for the drop. But the Knicks were getting toyed with in pick and roll because Noel doesn't have that same mobility. And, you know, Taj Gibson can only do so much at his age. Just gave 
Atlanta the lanes all night. Trey Young took the lane all night. Never took away his right. Never forced him left. Looked like Frank was trying to make him go left at the end, but again, Taj was there. They had some miscommunication. I don't know what it was. Got to go back and look at it, but yeah, this was the story of the pick and roll. That's how the Knicks lost this game. We'll be right back. I honestly think that's all I've got. I just hope he bounced back in game two, and I hope Reggie bounces back. I hope that Julius bounces back. I hope RJ is a little bit better. I hope that Alfred Payton doesn't get minutes. I hope Derrick Rose protects the ball a little bit better and defends the pick and roll a little bit better, along with everybody else. Um, I hope Burks continues to play that clutch factor in the fourth quarter. I hope Obi Toppin continues to show aggressiveness and confidence and gets the Garden going. This is the big game. If you don't take game two at the Garden and you're down 2 nothing going to Atlanta, you're fucked. You're fucked. If you do take game two at the Garden, you go into Atlanta tied 1-1 feeling good. Try to steal one on the road. Take as many as you can. I think this series is going to go seven if the Knicks are on point. If they're on point, I think it goes seven. And I've been underestimating them all season. I get it. But it helps me cope. It's better to do that than to do the opposite and be let down. But, I mean, yeah, you, you can't lose. Tomorrow, I mean, game one, they were saying, I think they said in the pregame, 75% of game one winners advance. <laughs> so... I, I don't want to call it a must win. I don't want to say it was, but it was huge. It was, I'm not going to lie to you and say it was not a huge loss. It was a big loss for the Knicks. But not taking game two is inexcusable. I will say this. If they do lose game two, people aren't going to be talking about game two. They're still going to be talking about game one. If they take game two, people are going to forget about game one. And we can go into the rest of the series knowing that it's a five-game series from there on out. Knowing that we have the final game. If it goes the distance. We host it. So. Two completely different outcomes can change the tone completely in this series. So it's big for the Knicks tomorrow night. And again, tomorrow night is tonight as you are listening to this podcast. And um, I think that's all I have. I really do. Excuse me. So, episode 250 of BD4. Where there's no better way to get your Yankees and Knicks analysis. The Knicks drop game one. We're going to head to break one last time. When we get back from break, we will get to the NYY NYK question of the day to wrap this one up. And um yeah. That'll be that. Be right back guys. Hey guys, if you haven't yet, be sure to download the Anchor app. And if you don't have the app, you can also just go to anchor.fm but it's the best way to make a podcast. Go to the app or the website and start your podcast. It's free, it's easy, and you can record the podcast right on their platform. And you get paid 
for podcasting on Anchor. All you got to do is read their advertisement just like I'm doing right now. So go to the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. Hey guys, if you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to this podcast, be sure to subscribe to my blog, and follow me on my three socials. To find that information, go to my link tree at linktr.ee forward slash rjcarbone. So, last time out in the NYYNYK question of the day. For episode 249, we were covering the Yankees-White Sox series. So I asked you, how many Yankees homered at least 20 times in the 1961 season? The answer to that question, six different Yankees homered 20 plus times in the year 61. Um, it was like Mantle, Maris, Bill Scowron. Yogi Berra, a few other guys too. So six different Yankees. But tonight's NYY NYK question of the day for episode 250 of BD4. The Knicks scored over 100 points in the first game of the playoffs on Sunday. How many times did they score at least 100 points in round one of the 2013 playoffs? All right, so one last time. The Knicks scored over 100 points in the first game of the first round on Sunday. How many times did they score at least 100 in the entire round for the 2013 playoffs? I guess for a hint, I'll tell you this. It was a different game back then, <laughs> even in 2013. All right, guys, thank you so much. I appreciate those who've tuned in. And if you're new here, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Again, you're listening to BD4. You're watching BD4, where there's no better way to get your Yankees and Knicks analysis. If you haven't yet subscribed, be sure to subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google, Anchor. And you can watch us on YouTube. Plenty more podcast feeds where you can listen to us on. And if you want to keep up with us. We do Knicks episodes every two games and the Yankees episodes every series. And if you haven't followed or subscribed to my blog, we recap every Yankees and Knicks game on there. And you can also follow me on my three socials. All that information is on my link tree. Link to, uh, link tr. Link tr.ee forward slash RJ Carbone. Once more, link tr.ee forward slash RJ Carbone. That is my link tree that'll take you to all those links. My social, the blog, and the podcast. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. One last time, I am your host, RJ Carbone, and this is episode 250 of BD4. Crazy, man. We're almost, it's almost June 1st. So <laughs> that would have been interesting. That would have been really cool if it was June 1st. And episode 250 came out exactly three years of podcasting. It would have made perfect sense. Oh, and actually it would have made even more perfect sense if it was episode 300 that came out on the third year. <laughs> but, um, I don't know what I'm saying. Game one is in the books. The Knicks lose 107 to 105. Trey Young goes off. Can't stop him. The pick and roll is too much. It's like we had 18 Ennis Cantors out there, or 15, 15 Ennis Cantors out there, the big 15. Um, but it's all right, I guess. Well, it's only all right if we bounce back and win game two. Guys, thank you so much. Um, yeah, going to edit this, then I'll put it up and hopefully you're listening to it before the Knicks begin their game too. Otherwise, it's a pretty useless episode. So. Yeah, man. 
We gotta win this. No other way around it. We've got to win this. Can't fuck around. Gotta win it. <laughs> Alright. That's all I've got. I'll see you next time. Ciao.